have is Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you with us in this hour. And in this hour, Emmett Till's cousin and best friend, Wheeler Parker Jr., survived the night of terror when 14-year-old Emmett was taken from his family's rural Mississippi Delta home in the dead of night. As the last surviving eyewitness to the lynching of Emmett Till, Parker knows facts about the case that have heretofore been left out of the public record, and he has a lot to say about racial reckoning in America. I am pleased to be joined in this hour by the Reverend Wheeler Parker, Jr., uh, author of a new book that just came out yesterday. Um, I was saying to somebody uh, on yesterday, uh, as one who's written, what, 23, 24 books myself, uh, there are two, a couple times of the year when there are major books that come out. And so the reason why you've been hearing uh, us interview, me interview, converse with so many authors over the last week or so is the start of the year, the January list. The January list of new books is out. So if you're a book reader, you already know this. In January, there are major books that come out. In September, there are major books that come out. So it's just how the publishing world sort of works. And so there are a lot of great texts. Uh, that are out right about now. And so I'm trying to expose you to as many as I can as fast as they drop. We had a great conversation uh, with some authors yesterday, and I look forward to a uh, powerful conversation in this hour. Uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr.'s book just dropped yesterday, and it's called A Few Days Full of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey uh, to Justice for My Cousin and Best Friend Emmett Till. A Few Days of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey to Justice for my cousin and best friend Emmett Till just out yesterday, and I'm honored to have Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. on this program. How are you, Doc? I'm doing great, and how are you, sir? I'm doing the best I can. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm delighted to be in dialogue <laughs> with you, uh, and I'm glad we've got the hour. There's such a great deal uh, to talk about, so much to talk about in this hour. Let me start by saying that um, I had the honor uh, more than once in my, my life, my career, uh, to sit uh, with Ms. Mamie Till Mobley, uh, and so I consider it a great honor um, to uh, speak with another member of this um, of this iconic American family. But uh, she and I spent uh, two or three good conversations together in L.A. and Chicago, uh, and it was just a great honor for me to um, have uh, established a relationship with her during her lifetime, Emmett's mother. And uh, again, just delighted to be talking to his cousin and best friend, uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. In this hour, let me start with this. I suspect, I suspect in all of these years, uh, there probably has not been a single day. This is 1955. We're now in 2023. I suspect there's probably not been a single day in your life where you have not thought about Emmett Till. Would I be correct in that assumption? I think you're all right. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And as the something that's constant on your mind. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And as the years go by, um, give me some sense of how those constant thoughts on your mind, as you put it, how they've ebbed and flowed, how they've changed, how they've morphed or not over the years? Well, one thought in particular that has been with me these six or seven years is how they presented or painted Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. Uh, like as if he got what he deserved. That has been with me and been a very trying and, uh, uh, I can't think of the word to say part of my life mm-hmm. and that will always be there until I see him painted in another uh, uh, perspective. 
Yeah. Um, we've got the hour, and so we're going to unpack this. We got we 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 have some time here, so we're going we're going to work this thing out, Reverend, over the hour. Uh, but when you okay. say when you say that um, it has troubled you, um, this image that we have gotten that Emmett, you know, got what he deserved for allegedly whistling at this white woman, and that you want mm-hmm. a proper image of Emmett painted. Um, take some time here. Paint for me, illustrate for me a proper image of Emmett Till. Tell me about the Emmett Till that you knew. A fun-loving prankster, happy-go-lucky kid, not a, a, a terrorist or a rapist or whatever, however they got him painted. Uh, and kind of, and they did Emmett like they did the Jews. Mm-hmm. When they got through uh, demonizing him, they said what they did to him, they needed it. And uh, that story, that attitude, it, was, it has changed a lot, but the attitude about Emmett was the same way. It's, it's uh, How can you do that to a kid? and try to justify it. So America, uh, when it comes to racism, they always kind of justify what they do to blacks and what they did and what they do. Uh, we're deserving and we're people that are, uh, are not not a people, really. Mm-hmm. And that story, and that still prevails. We've come a long way. We've made a lot of progress. But we've got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, you, you know this well because uh, you are a, uh, a minister of the gospel. Um, and yes, so you know well that 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 biblical uh, admonition, that verse that uh, a child shall lead them. Um, I'm sure you've spoken from that text many times. A child shall lead them. And every time I think yeah. about Emmett, it's never lost on me that he was, as you said a moment ago, a kid. Just yes. four, just 14 years old, just a kid. Just turned four, just turned exactly. Had just turned 14. Um, so he was just a kid. And again, we've had so many conversations over the years about Emmett, but every time I have one of these conversations, I'm always uh, taken back and I remind myself and I try to remind the audience, whether it's TV, radio or in person, whoever I'm speaking with, I always want to remind them he was just a kid who had just yes, turned 14, 67 years later. You know, mm-hmm. he, 67 years later, I think we forget that sometimes to lose sight of that. What do you make of the fact, since you went there, that they did this? They did this to a kid. Yes. And if you didn't live during that time or experience that, it is very difficult to understand how can a country allow it and how can people do that to a person, you know, uh, for a whistle or for whatever. How, how can you have that attitude? But you had to have lived it. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Sometimes I try to make sense of it and try to see and understand, but it makes no When you get through it makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, it always tried to justify it, you know, uh, portray him as a monster or something of that nature. I was speaking at even my own high school. They said, why are we here? Emmett misbehave. What are you talking about? How can you terrorize and beat a guy and do him like that because he misbehaved? Mm-hmm. There is such thing as due process in America. If somebody violates your laws, you've got the right to have due process. They skip all of that and say he got, in essence, what they say he got what he deserves. Mm-hmm. It's hard me, to swallow. No, I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine, Reverend Parker. Let, let me let me pivot here just for a second, um, and uh, we'll come back to this story of Emmett and get more straightway into your into your book. Uh, again, the book is called A Few Days Full of Trouble. Revelations on the Journey to Justice for My Cousin and Best Friend Emmett Till. The book just published yesterday. Uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. is the last um, surviving eyewitness to what happened 
to Emmett on that fateful night back in 1955. Let me ask you this question. I've, I've been I've been anxious to ask you this. I happen to know uh, that you're not just a reverend, but you are the pastor and district superintendent of the Argo Temple Church of God in Christ in Summit, Illinois. Uh, and uh, so, Bishop Blake, you should know this. The studio that I'm sitting in right now is uh, in Los Angeles. This station is heard across the nation, but we are flagshipped in L.A., and I'm literally just a few blocks down the street from the West Angeles Church of God in Christ, uh, pastored, oh, okay. pastored by your friend and mine, Bishop Charles E. Blake, uh, the yes. presiding bishop emeritus of the Kojic uh, uh, organization. So his church is literally just a few blocks down the street, uh, literally from where I'm oh. sitting right now. We pass by it every day, and Bishop Blake is a, right. Bishop Blake, a dear friend of mine. So uh, I just want to give you some sense of how close I am to, uh, to his church right here on Crenshaw. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And I raise that because my grandmother was Kojic uh, most of her life. Uh, and so I've spent a lot of good time as a Pentecostal. I've spent a lot of time in the Kojic Church over the years, and and and, and I, I I am curious as to how you have all these years later kept your faith intact mm-hmm. and not and maybe you have you tell me and not question God about as people would say why He allowed what happened to your cousin to take place. How, how, how have you? How have you squared what happened to Emmett, what God allowed to happen to Emmett with your faith all these years, Reverend Parker? You know, uh, it makes it easier to talk to you because you've been around the church of God, right? You know the standards, you know what to stand for. So you, it's easier for me to talk to you than to probably the average layperson. Mm-hmm. We're taught very early, and it's embedded in us, you must forgive and you can't hate. And all of those things, repentance and forgiveness, that's the nature, that's the basis of our teachings in our church. So that's how we've dealt with that. As Emmett Till's mother said, he said she says, like these people, he said, she said, God took hate out of me four or seven years ago. I said, 203. She said, it's like those people don't exist because we know that everybody reaps what they sow and we don't, we don't worry about it trying to get even and think of God got everybody. And we, as people, we know when we reap what we've sowed, you know. So no one's escapes, and it gives you leverage when you're going to have that type of uh, teaching and that kind of faith embedded in you. Yeah. Talk to me very quickly here about um, the process of forgiving when these persons for so long uh, went free for what they did to Emmett. Nobody wanted to accept the responsibility. They didn't want to accept the blame. Uh, the nature of the racist South kept them from being held accountable um, it, it seems to me that we had a whole hour yesterday about forgiveness and about apologies. We discussed that in a great conversation. If you missed yesterday's program, there's a new book that also came out yesterday called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. A powerful conversation uh-huh. yesterday about the power of, 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 of apology, of saying I'm sorry, how to go about doing it the right way. It ain't sorry, but it ain't sorry if it ain't sorry you. It's just I'm sorry. And it, it's it's heartfelt. It's sincere. Great conversation about that yesterday on this program. If you missed it, check out the podcast of our conversation about how to give a proper apology and why forgiveness matters. But it seems to me that that is more difficult to do, Reverend Wheeler. It's more difficult, Reverend Parker. It's more difficult to do when those persons who are responsible are not brought to justice for years. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing we know is it's embedded in us. God says vengeance is man. We studied the Bible, and we had it in our heart, and we see throughout the Bible what happened to people who violated God's laws. Mm-hmm. And we live with that, and we experience that. 
So it's much easier to do knowing that God said, vengeance is mine. And that's what Bishop Ford said at Emmett Hill's funeral. Mm-hmm. Vengeance is mine. I will pay, said the Lord. And we, we, we experience it and we see that happening. And we know it's real. It's not just a figment of imagination, but it's a real experience for us. So that makes it much easier to do. And you're always tempted to not believe or to uh, not accept the Word of God or challenge the Word of God. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. The Bible says there's no temptation taking you, but that which is common. But God will, with the temptation, make a way to escape. Mm. So those temptations come to be different from the contrary to the Word of God, but we revert right to, back to the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it makes a, a reality and not just a formality. His name is Reverend Wheeler Parker, Jr. As you can tell, he's about to tune up here if I let him. Uh, it, it, it ain't even Sunday. Uh, his book is called A Few Days Full of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey to Justice. From my cousin and best friend, Emmett Till, the book published yesterday, he is the last surviving eyewitness um, to what happened, Emmett, on that night uh, in Mississippi, Money, Mississippi, back in 1955. We'll get more into that story and what he knows that the rest of us don't when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Cousin and the last surviving eyewitness of what happened that night, that fateful night in Money, Mississippi. His book dropped yesterday, published yesterday. It's called A Few Days Full of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey to Justice for My Cousin and Best Friend Emmett Till. And I'm delighted to have Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. for the rest of this hour on KBLA Talk 1580. Um, uh, Reverend Parker, there, there is so much in this book, it's hard to know sort of where to begin. Let me start by asking this, and we'll get, again, straightway into the text. Um, if, my, if my math is correct, you have now achieved, what, 80 years of age? 83, don't take nothing, 84. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I, thought I, I thought I'd mess with you on that. He said, don't take nothing from me now. Uh, almost, no, I'm trying to get the next. Trying to get the ninety, man. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I ain't mad at you. Go, for that matter, going to going to a hundred. We, we used to sing that song. <laughs> not, not, Lord, I'm running, trying to make a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half won't do. So go, go. I think I, I think you got a year or two on Bishop Blake. There you go. I, I think you do too. Yeah, you got a, you got a year or two on Bishop Blake. You do indeed. Um, so you're now <laughs> almost eighty-four years of age. Number one, and and let me get this number right too. Uh, over fifty years of marriage, right? Fifty-five. Don't take, don't take nothing else. Too. <laughs> uh, and let me let, let me and let me be clear. That's fifty five years to the same woman. I might add. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right, got you. Um, we we a a tavern. We have a joke when we get to heaven. She said, "I said, Lord, not up here too." <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, I never. That, I never. That, that is hilarious, Lord. Not not up here too. <laughs> yeah, we, that's a running joke we have. <laughs> yeah. I was I was somewhere, I was somewhere the other day, and I heard a preacher say he was talking about he was giving he was teaching a class on marriage count. It was a marriage counseling session, and he was. <laughs> He was telling like he was he was talking about what he talks about in his counseling sessions. He was just giving us a sort of precursor. He says he te- he tells folk in in the marriage class that uh, they say love is blind. He said yeah, that's true. Love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. <laughs> love is blind, <laughs> but marriage is an I eye- remember that. yeah, but marriage is an eye opener. 
Anyway, fifty-five yes, years to the same woman. I I'm mad at you. The reason why the reason why <laughs> the reason I want to establish those numbers of your age, uh, and uh, and uh, how many years you've been you've been married. You've been on this planet for a while now, and I am curious. Yes, I am curious uh, as to why you decided now to write this book. As I as I started this conversation earlier, asking you about you know whether or not it is true that not a day goes by when you don't think about Emmett. At this point in your life, why write this book? Once one thing I have been uh, not coerced, but constantly asked to do it and. Well, for me, the story was told, has been told for six or seven years, and for me to add, and uh, and I've experienced the stories that were told, and and when I finally told my story after 30 years, just telling the story, interviewed 30 years later, mm-hmm. they said that I alleged. So I figured maybe somebody will believe because the stories that were out there were false. And not right. So maybe someone really wants the truth, and they'll believe what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I just uh, very uh, uh, upset about what has been said and uh, different uh, philosophies, not on different stories that have been told uh, from people who were not there at all. Mm-hmm. And when they finally interviewed me 30 years afterwards, I'm an eyewitness. Mark Twain said, "I witnessed with a historical story." Mm-hmm. I said, "Well, maybe." I need to go and tell my story from my perspective, and someone will believe it. Yep. Let me let me do this um, because again, there's so much in this book. I can't do justice to it even in an hour conversation with you. So let me just ask you. We'll take them one one, one at a time. <clears throat> we've we've got the time to do that, so no rush here. Uh, let me take them one at a time and ask you to just pick you know two or three things um, that most disturb you over these 67 years. The two or three things. Um, that most disturb you uh, vis-a-vis the inaccuracies uh, uh-huh. in the story that was told, uh, has been told about Emmett Till. So take it away. Let's Give, give me the first one uh, that is most disturbing. We'll do two or three of these and we'll move on. I, rem- I remember very vividly right after they confessed that they had kidnapped Emmett Till. Uh, after the trial, they couldn't be tried twice for it. And Look Magazine had an article, and they portrayed, em, portrayed Emmett as a bully, and he stood up to these guys. I'm not afraid. I've been with white women before. And they just portrayed him in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. That has bothered me all of my life because I knew Emmett, and it was not him. But they went out there, and that stuck. And they got out there for 30 years. Like He, 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 he violated the Southern way of life. And back in the day, the American government didn't do anything with these people. They could kill you and nothing be done at all. And they went out there, and it stayed there until uh, 1985 when Emmett Till's mother went to the aid of Ben Wilson's a young man as a basketball player in Chicago. His kid went to the aid of his mother, and a guy named Rich Samuels came out and did a documentary, and things began to change somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I had, I've had to live with that Luke Magazine article. And uh, he, he just stood up to these guys, not afraid of you all. It just, it was, it was ludicrous. Just, it's still uh, mind-boggling to me to have read that, and that has impacted me all of my life from that time. Speaking of a uh, Chicago, Emmett, of course, lived in Chicago with his mother, Mamie Till Mobley. Um, he lived in Chicago, and he was in Money, Mississippi, to visit uh, family um, uh, for a period of time, as we all know. 
um, since you raise it, is is it the case that Emmett was not wise to the ways of the South and that he did not know how to um, uh, behave himself uh, in segregated Mississippi? Sure. You know, when I moved here seven or six years ago next door to Emmett, I'm, we live in a little town called Summit, Argo, Illinois. Emmett's mm-hmm. been his last two or three years in Chicago, but mostly out in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather came in. I was going back. Emmett found out that I was going. He wouldn't have it no other way because his mother took me on trips with him. So he had no idea what the South was like. And if you didn't live there or experience it, you could have no idea either. And he, they did not want him to go because of what did happen to him. It's what they thought could really happen. I was, my formative years were spent in the South. My first seven, almost eight years were spent in the South. So I knew the mores of the South. I knew the laws. I heard the stories all the time. What happened to people? My dad had to sleep with his gun overnight. People hung down the street from my uncle's house. I knew those things. And these things are not written. Uh, and Emmett had no way, no way of knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, his mother said she gave him a crash course to go to Mississippi. But you can't take a crash course. And we went back in droves every year. But when we went back, usually we were in the hands of an adult who would go into these stores with us. But this day, we didn't have any adults. My uncle was 16. He had use of a car, and we just went up there on our own. And uh, and I remember Emmett coming into the store. I said, I hope he got his act together. I hope he knows the mores of the South, the yes sirs and no sirs. And he just didn't know it. And uh, you could be killed, and people were killed for reckless eyeball. And uh, when a lady came out of the store and he whistled at her, man, we could all die right there. Mm-hmm. We that yeah. knew the South. I mean, knew it from living and experiencing it and hearing it, you know. He had no idea where he was at. He he loved to make people laugh, and he did that to get a laugh. And that cost him his life. Mm. When we come forward uh, in our conversation with Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr., the cousin of Emmett Till, his best friend, and the author of a new book just out yesterday, A Few Days Full of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey to Justice for My Cousin and Best Friend Emmett Till, we're going to come right back to that 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 point. There have been so many stories about what Emmett did or didn't do uh, at that store um, that uh, that led to, and there's no justification for it either way, no matter what he might have done. Uh, but I want to get the record straight on what Emmett did or did not do with regard to whistling at this white woman uh, uh, in Mississippi and uh, get back to one or two other issues that has uh, bothered uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. all these years about the way the story of his cousin Emmett has been told incorrectly. We'll continue with Reverend Parker when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where we turn red lights to green lights and keep it moving. I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you with us in this hour as we continue our conversation with the Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr., uh, the last remaining eyewitness to what happened to Emmett Till in 1955. He is, um, again, Emmett's cousin and best friend. Uh, his book uh, just dropped yesterday, 67 years after this horrific incident. 
The book is called A Few Days Full of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey to Justice for My Cousin and Best Friend Emmett Till. And again, I'm delighted to continue our conversation right now with Reverend Wheeler Parker, Jr. Uh, Reverend Parker, there have been so many stories, uh, as you well know, over these 67 years that have been told about what happened on that particular day. Um, Emmett, has, Emmett has been accused of doing everything from A to Z uh, on, on, on that occasion. So let me just ask you and get out of your way. What did happen in or just outside that store that day? Uh we uh, went up there. We had been in town since that Sunday. So we went to the store on a Wednesday evening after we had picked cotton. And, uh, of course, we are there. And uh, I go in the store and I purchase some things. The many stories have been told as to what happened. They had a 30-year jump on us telling the story. That witness, 30-year jump. So those stories were uh, uh, first impressions of last. And I heard my cousin telling what happened at the store, and he was not even there. Mm. But those stories prevailed. So when we told ours, when we got to tell our story, what happened, it's just like we're a legend. You know, you don't, this is not the truth. So I went into the store, purchased some things. I'm in there, and while I'm in the store, Bobo, we call him Bobo, Bobo Camp comes in the store, and I said to myself, I hope he got his yes sirs and no sirs and all that lined up, because that's important in the South. They're going to make sure you have that uh, training. Make sure your manners are proper, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna grill you. Make sure you say yes sir, no sir, no ma'am, yes sir, you know all of that. Mm-hmm. So I left him in the store. Nothing happened while we were in there at all. And he had a stuttering problem. He had polio in 1947. That's when I came to Illinois. Uh, he had polio, so he left with a stuttered all the time. And the lady in her testimony, she can't remember him. She's saying that he said certain things, but she don't remember him studying. He didn't talk about stuttering. Mm. So uh, my uncle Simeon, who's 12 years old, I was 16, he was 14, he came in the store with him. He said nothing happened while they were there. And when they came out, Emmett, as he had never had a doll in his life, loved to make people laugh. So he whistled at this woman. You know he don't know uh, the movies of the South to whistle at a white woman in Mississippi, mm-hmm. 1955. That's death right there. And so he whistled. Man, when he did that, we all just made a beeline for the car. We just knew that it's, it's, it's something that he shouldn't have done. Now he's afraid. So he's going down this gravel road. It's dust now in the cars behind us. We said, man, they're after, they're after us. You know, of course, it wasn't them. They passed on by. And we regrouped, and Emmett begged us not to tell my grandfather. So we thought it was over with. Mm. So you did not tell your grandfather, yes? No? I, we did not. We yeah, did not. You did not. And the girl, the girl Ruth, she said, I know these people. He said, this is not over. Y'all will hear some more about this. Mm. I mean, at that time, all he had done was whistle. She said, and, she, uh, we, me, we, know, we know he had violated the Southern morals, right. Southern way of living, knew that, but uh, he killed somebody, tortured him like that for whistling, you know. Yeah. Back, back, let, me, let me back you up one more second. Um, after Emmett whistled at the woman and you all made a beeline for the car because you knew, <clears throat> to your point, uh, that that was that was not a good move that Emmett had just made. Um, what did the white woman say? Did she say anything? I, I thought I heard you suggesting she said something as you guys were running away. She did not. Someone said she she's coming out the door. Someone said she's going to get a gun. Mm. And that, that's what we heard. That, that's what we heard. We we were out of there. We were out of there. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me fast forward here. Just just watching our time here. So you didn't say anything to your grandfather. Uh, but 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 round about midnight, something happened. Did it not? Not that night. This mm-hmm. was Wednesday, man. And Thursday passed, Friday passed. We forgot all about it. Mm-hmm. And early Sunday morning, about 2.30, I hear these people talking. 
Mm-hmm. About what? They got two boys there from Chicago. Him and I went down together. And said, so we want to talk to one did the talking, not a whistle. So, and I said, man, I said, God, knowing the South, having heard the stories, we call it behind the iron curtain. I said, God, I'm 16 years old, so I'm getting ready to die. And in the Church of God in Christ, you're very acutely aware whether you're in good standing with God or not. I oh, said, yeah. my problem is I'm getting ready to die, and my relationship with God is not right at all. So uh, when death is imminent, you go right to God. You don't beat around the bush. You don't need no missionary. You don't need no preacher. I just went right to God. I said, Lord, my relationship is not right with you. If you just let me live, I'm going to do it, get it together. Just let me live. I'm shaking like a leaf on a tree. Knowing death is imminent, I just you can feel death, and uh, that's where I prayed in the big house, and they didn't know what room they were in. Soon I came coming to my room, dark as a thousand midnight. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. That's where he was in the south when the sun, when the moon's not shining. Mm-hmm. And they entered my room with a flashlight and a pistol, and I closed my eyes to be shot, and they didn't shoot me. Mm. It was a terrible time, terror, pure terror, mm. pure terror. Yeah. Let me let me go back um, to the fact that a couple of days had passed, and when I said around by midnight, I knew you were going to come in and tell me, yeah, around by midnight a few days later. Uh, that's exactly what I was searching for, and I'm glad you put your finger on that because I've always been curious as to how you all processed after 24 hours goes by, 48 hours goes by, almost 72 hours goes by, you ain't heard nothing, nothing's happened. You never, were you still sort of shaking in your boots or did you think it had passed? We thought it was passed. We thought it was over. You know, we're 16, 12, and 14. Nothing happened. I hadn't heard from anyone from Wednesday to after Wednesday. We didn't hear anything. So it was over as far as we were concerned. Yeah. But the girl told us, she said, this is not over. She said, you are, Ruth was 18. She said, you guys are going to hear some more about this. I know those people. Mm. We didn't know they had did things to people before. Mm. And uh, we just were not, you know, being youngsters, just you out of danger, danger passed, and hey, yeah. when danger's passed, you okay, you cool. When when they come to your room and you are you are praying to God, um, asking him to spare your life, uh, I can't imagine, yes. I can't imagine what that terror must have been like, like in that moment. But when they came into your room with the shotgun, came into your room with a flashlight, realized that you were not the one, and left your room, what went through your head? What went through your heart when they walked out of that room and you'd closed your eyes being uh, being prepared to die, and they walked yes. away? How, what, what, what happens next? You look, they were looking for a fat boy from Chicago. Mm-hmm. He had a pistol. He had a pistol. He had a pistol. And they, my grandfather did not know it was a big, large, four-bedroom house, rooms back-to-back, no hallways. So my grandfather started on, off the porch, off the screen-in porch on the side that I was, room I was in. So he, was, he knew he's in the room on the other side. And they went to the next room. My uncle with me in bed did not wake. The guy in the next room, my cousin Curtis, he did not wake up. And they found Emmett in the third room with my uncle Simeon who's 12 years old, and my Uncle Robert was also in that room. Uncle Robert, 14, didn't wake up. They aroused him, and they aroused uh, Bobo, and it was pure, pure hell over there because they aroused him and wanted him to get dressed. He wanted to put his socks on, and uh, he, 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 they wanted to put his shoes on. He wanted to put his socks on. 
I couldn't tell all what was said, but it was not nice over there at all. My grandmother runs out the house, went next door to a white man's house to try to get in and help. No, nothing there. And uh, she promised to try to give him money. And they said they're going to bring him back if he wasn't the one. Of course, they uh, left with him, took him to the car, and the boss said that he's the one. Sound like a lady's voice. Couldn't uh, prove that. And that's been the story since then. Was that Mrs. Banger? Now, she's still alive. She says she, she was not there. Um, when we come forward, I, I want to come back in a moment here to this prayer that you prayed. Um, uh, speaking of the Kojic Church and uh, my Pentecostal upbringing, we used to sing a song that says, I made a vow to the Lord and I won't take it back. Uh, I made a vow to the Lord and I won't take it back. I am, I am wondering um, what happened in the days after you made that vow and prayed that prayer asking God to spare your life. He did that for you. That did not happen for Emmett. And I'm wondering how that, uh, how making that vow impacted you and your life moving forward as we are now talking to the Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. We'll get to that and a great deal more when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Be sure to like and follow Tavis Smiley at The Real Tavis Smiley. And your Twitter updates. At Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues when we come forward. forward. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. I'm Tavis Smiley, continuing now with Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr., the cousin and best friend of Emmett Till. Uh, after 67 years, he wanted to set the record straight uh, at almost 84 years of age. Uh, his book dropped yesterday. It's called A Few Days Full of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey to Justice for My Cousin and Best Friend Emmett Till. Uh, you heard me say moments ago, Reverend Parker, we used to sing a song in my church. It says, I made a vow to the Lord and I won't take it back. Um, mm -hmm. You made a vow that day uh, that if the Lord saved you, you would um, uh, take your life in a different direction. How did you process that vow in your own personal journey uh, to becoming uh, a minister uh, after your life was spared that night? That's one of the things that was very pivotal in changing my life. I made that vow that Sunday morning, Tuesday, back in Chicago, the police had me for gambling. Mm. It's a gambling town. And something said, and every now and then it would come to me that vow you made. Nobody made you make that vow. And I was conscientious of it until it got so strong that I knew if I didn't do something, something was going to happen. At age 22, six years later, said to me, Ask God to give you a mind to do that. I asked God, and I had a radical change. And from that point to this time, I've had that change and absolutely no regrets, and I have been the happiest man in the world ever mm. since. Um, if, my, if my facts are correct, I, I, know, I, I know a bit about your family history. I, if my facts are correct, is, is it true that you, you pastored the church that was founded by Emmett's grandmother, grandfather? Grandmother. Grandmother, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you passed to the church that was founded by his grandmother. In 1926. Wow. That's, yeah, I passed to that church right now. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you mentioned earlier that you um, that you had gone back and forth to the South, of course, as you were as you were growing up. But you had pretty much left the South and moved to Illinois. What, 1947, I think you said? Was it 47? Yeah, 76 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
how grateful are you? And let me, I, I say grateful. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't need to. You appreciate you can do that for yourself. But, 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 but explain to me how you, how you regard the decision that your family made to get you out of the South. I, they, we came here. We were part of the great migration that was coming to the promised land. And uh, I made that transition, and it's one of the best things that could have happened. Uh, life changed and uh, different cultures, and and I have no regrets, and I'm glad they got me out of the South in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Um, I, I you, you you don't know this, but I, I was born in Mississippi myself. I'm 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 born there. Uh, in uh, oh, okay, yeah, I'm I'm born in Gulfport, right? Uh, right on the oh. right on the coast. Uh, and, uh, I loved going back in the summers myself. I grew up in the Midwest like you did. You grew up in Indiana. I grew up, you grew up in Illinois. I grew up in Indiana. So we both made that migration up North. My parents took me up North, but I was born in Mississippi and, uh, I love visiting there and I celebrate the state because there's so many great artists, so many great writers. There's so much talent that has come out of that state of Mississippi. And yet, uh-huh. and yet I, I am grateful <laughs> with all due, with all due respect and all the love in my heart. I'm grateful that I wasn't stuck growing up in Mississippi like my cousins. It, it, I, I just can't imagine uh, having had to grow up in, in that. And again, I love the state. I still go back to visit my family uh, when I can. Uh, but I'm, I'm grateful that my parents got me out of the South, and I hear you. So uh, I'd say amen to that, Reverend. We both are glad that we got out of the South. Um, uh, when we come forward, uh, a bit more for Reverend um, Wheeler Parker Jr. Uh, about um, his cousin and best friend Emmett Till, and we'll get back to a, another one of these issues uh, that has so bothered him all these years later. He referenced earlier the Look Magazine piece that just lied. Courage is and That just lied about us. We're KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. I guess the devil got in my computer uh, for the station. Didn't want me to <laughs> ask this last question. Uh, it cut me off. Uh, but we're back, uh, and I'll get the chance uh, to ask this question now in the last uh, three minutes I have with uh, with Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. Um, I, I want to get just one more thing out that people will learn in this book uh, about the truth you wanted to get out. Uh, about your cousin Emmett Till. We talked about Look Magazine story that bothered you so much and where they framed uh, this story and the way they talked about Emmett. Give me one more thing that has bothered you all these 67 years about the way this story has been told that you are correcting in your book. Uh, There's some things that she said off the record in the courtroom that he touched her. And the Tyson came out of the book saying she lied, of course, then she said she didn't. That needed to be cleared up. That would help bring closure to uh, the way that they painted him. And, again, it's like uh, people still got that attitude. He got what he deserved. The way he was tortured and beaten and shot, uh, they still trying to, uh, in America, try to justify and protect a Southern way of life about white women and black men, mm-hmm. and which was not which was not true. And it prevails, you know, and... And it's from the top to the bottom. Uh, even when you say, uh, tell people when you see black skin, you got a preconceived idea. Yeah. If I say Mexican, you got a preconceived idea. If I say Irish or Italian, whatever, you got a preconceived idea. And it's, I said, when you see black skin, you got a preconceived idea, and we can't change the color. Yeah. I got a minute and a half to go. Let me ask you right quick. Um, in that time period, where from the moment that Emmett was taken away, and you all knew something had happened to him, and the time 
when they pulled his body out of the Tallahatchie, during that time period of those days that passed by, how did you navigate your life during that time frame? Well, we we didn't expect anything good to come, and we just waiting to hear because we know the stories of what had happened to people in time past. We know mm-hmm. the stories. Yeah. It was very common what happened to people. You, you never saw them again, and they they start searching. Right away, they start searching by the rivers, the bridges, to see if they can find his body. Not a, they weren't searching trying to find a live person, mm-hmm. but a dead person. Yeah. And that's where we lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had, to, you had to live that to understand that, too. Yeah. I, I am grateful for those who our ancestors who uh, endured that and lived yes. that, lived that, and uh, beyond Emmett, as you know, they were lynching folk all day, every day back during that time period. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, I am just grateful um, uh, that we are here and that our ancestors endured mm-hmm. that, so that we could be in this moment. And I am grateful that God spared your life that night to be an eyewitness, and uh, that uh, that prayer you prayed was answered, and you have kept your vow all these years later. His name is the Reverend Wheeler Parker, Jr. His book out yesterday is called A Few Days Full of Trouble, Revelations on the Journey to Justice for My Cousin and Best Friend, Emmett Till. Reverend Parker, an honor, sir, to be in dialogue with a member of Emmett's family. Thank you for the book. Thank you for this conversation. And I wish you nothing but the best in the coming months and years. And give my best to your bride. God bless you. Stay strong. Hour three of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.